Hi, I'm Michael Costello, Director of Workplace Evolution. Welcome to episode four with Robert Ordiva, the Managing Director of OC Tana Europe. Robert's credibility and experience in the field of HR is vast, so he's on the podcast to talk about his approach to developing talent at Fulham Football Club, his take on Mohamed Al-Fayed's leadership style at Harrods Department Store, and also how Harrods and Fulham created its world-class reputation for service excellence. So what's in it for you? Well, we discussed ways in which you can keep employees, in particular highly paid staff such as footballers, motivated, happy and engaged. How you can maintain and drive the values of your organisation while staying competitive. And also how you can create a reputation for your business rather than just competing on cost. We'll get a little bit of insight into the famous Michael Jackson statue that was actually inside the stadium of Craven Cottage at Fulham Football Club. And you'll know where to go for diamond and sapphire encrusted shoes guarded by a cobra. Check out the podcast notes for the story on that one. Over to episode four. Okay, welcome to the podcast. We have with us today Robert Ordiva. Robert is currently the Managing Director of Ositano Europe and joined Ositano in 2014. He's gone from luxury retail at Harrods to Premier Football with Fulham Football Club and his career spans more than 20 years. Oh, I'm so old. I've read up on you, Robert. You have a vast amount of knowledge on HR and operations, and your interests are cultural development, values engagement, and the delivery of service excellence. Robert Zordiva, the podcast welcomes you. Thank you very much, Michael. It's good to be with you. Uh, Those that are listening won't know, but we met probably just under 10 years ago, uh, around the time that you were working at Fulham Football Club. And you agreed to let me and a team actually go into Craven Cottage undercover to observe and assess the talent at the club, the service at the club. So you're letting us in to complain about the food and the burgers being served and walking around Craven Cottage, getting lost and seeing if someone would help us. So for me, my first impression that you were always willing to try new things. So Hence, my first question, Uh, thinking back to your time at Fulham Football Club, what was your approach to talent development whilst you were there? Um, I think there were were a number of of things that we worked on during my my time at the club. Um, Just to be clear, let me focus on non-playing staff, Mm because I think that's probably probably the one that's of of, uh, most use to the people listening to the the podcast. Um, We went through a bit of a uh, transition and during that time we put a lot of focus on values um, articulating our values and what those what those meant we put a lot of emphasis on uh, on development work and I think I think the theme throughout Fulham was a or is uh, an absolutely great club um, fantastic family feel 
great, some great people uh, have worked there and are still working there. And that was our differentiator. We, we weren't a club that could go and buy the most expensive players in the world. So from a talent management perspective, um, we had to focus on surrounding the players that we could buy with the very best talent that we could find mm-hmm. um, and have that talent develop. So the best physios, the best doctors, the best training ground staff, uh, you know, groundsmen that could provide uh, world-class pitches. Um, really, our strategy was to uh, buy the best sporting talent we could find, but surround them with the best sporting talent, uh, with the best support talent that there was. Um, Culturally, it was a really interesting time. Uh, We focused a lot on the way that we did things. Uh, It was a club, uh, and still is, that that really focuses strongly on the right thing to do, uh, on placing the community, uh, on doing good as a football club. Um, and I think Premier League football is a, an interesting place to try and do that stuff. Sometimes uh, we can get uh, whipped up in the excitement of match day or whipped up in the excitement of the money. Um, but actually football clubs uh, are there long term. They have a really important part uh, to play in the community. And so a, a big part of our talent strategy was about having the right values, having values-led decision-making, values-led people, um, and helping people understand how to operate um, in a way that was competitive but didn't lose sight of who we were and what was important. And do you feel that that was in the benefit of the, the long-term interest of the club? Absolutely. And, and in fact, uh, a big part of why values are important to us is because uh, in a football club, you can be very wrapped up in short-term gains. Um, so uh, how do we win this week's football match? How do we make this season's ticketing revenue? But actually, we needed to be thinking about how do we ensure we have a fan base in 20 years' time? So the work that you and I did on uh, match day experience um, for, our, for our fans um, was really about, you know, if you were bringing your child for their first game at Craven Cottage that experience will shape, could shape, our season ticket base for the future. Um, Now that child isn't going to buy a shirt uh, with his pocket money just quite yet. Um, He's not ready to commit to a hospitality box, but you start a relationship with with that fan that could last a lifetime. Um, And our values are all about that. From a performance management perspective, we, we shifted. We moved from being very results driven to actually balancing uh, an equal balance between results and values-led behaviours. So I'll give you an example. If you were the person responsible for delivering the ticketing budget, but you did so by uh, removing child discount, um, you might achieve the result of the ticketing budget, but you would overall fail because our value of long-term thinking, being open and inclusive, building a fan base for the future, um, you'd have fallen down on. And we moved to a place where both results and the way we did things, values and behaviours, had equal uh, had equal uh, importance. Thank you for that, Robert. That's absolutely fascinating. It's a fascinating world where HR meets sports. And it seems like there's a lot of metaphors from sport that relate to the world of business. Uh, We see many managers from sports, such as Alex Ferguson, speaking with businesses today and 
business leaders really listening to, to what he's got to say. Only recently we've had the class of 92 from Manchester United set up an actual university. So what I'm interested in is what do you think are the lessons that leaders and businesses can take from sport, in your opinion? I think it's an interesting question. It's a question that I get a lot. Um, I think the first thing to say is I, I'm, I think it's sometimes a little cliche, um, but one of the reasons why people are interested in sport is I think they find it easy to relate to. Um, one of the things that I found about football is it kind of took away some of the preconceived ideas that you have. I mean, football is an immediate results business. You make a change today and you can see a result on Saturday. Um, so it teaches and can help you to be more agile. It, it encourages you to try more stuff and to innovate. Um, but I think one of the biggest learnings, and if I relate it to the world in which I currently uh, am in, uh, O.C. Turner, um, I think you find yourself in an environment, certainly on the playing side, where money becomes pretty irrelevant. You have individuals who have more money than they need. Mm. And so you start to really have to think about what are the other things that, that motivate people? What are the other things that really engage individuals? Mm. And, you know, players are not short on money, but they're short on time. They're looking for help with making things more convenient. They uh, are looking to really connect to something deeper. And many of them do that through charities like the Fulham, uh, Fulham Foundation. But we would, um, let me give you an example. We have some of the highest, uh, some of the highest paid people I've ever worked with there. But there was a day where we, we, were, we were having a tough start to the season and we decided to send flowers to the wives of the players to thank them for their support of the player off the pitch to enable them essentially to, to focus more on their work. Well, the impact was huge. Mm. Um, the gratitude, the way that people felt appreciated, the feedback we got was extraordinary. And if you put that in context of everything we were paying them and the bonuses they were receiving and the, you know, the private <laughs> chartered jets that we were flying them around, in, this bunch of flowers was closer, more personal. Yeah. It meant more. Um, we... Uh, Martin Yole, who was uh, a, a manager at, at Fulham, very successful manager for some time, um, had you know had a, a real passion for celebrating players' birthdays, and um, he did so in a way he would give them something kind of symbolic. He would spend time with them. He would call them out, and I think to the outside world, you would say, well, you know, what does a player need that for? They can they can do whatever they want on their birthday. They can buy whatever they want. But actually, once you take money out of the equation you really start to understand, I think, the importance of human connection, the importance of appreciation, um, the importance placed on calling people out, you know, giving people kudos for stuff. Um, it, it, it sort of strips away some of our preconceived ideas. I think, I think for many of us, you're sort of brought up with the idea that you work hard, you get paid more. And mm. Once that's out of the way, you really start to understand human connection. And I think business can learn a lot from that. There are lots of, you know, Clearly, there are plenty of uh, management consultants and businesses out there that will, you know, talk about, you know, what, what can business learn from Alex Ferguson's uh, management style and, um, and all that kind of stuff. But I think in, intrinsically football uh, gets more to the emotion. It gets more, it's more human. So, uh, Robert, if, if you start off with, you know, how do we retain our staff? How do we get their performance up? 
are you saying it's it's not always the the right place to start and actually let's just look at our values how do we bring those to life on a day-to-day basis rather than trying to think about the hr metrics all of the time yeah and, and look we're in a world i think uh, whether right you're wrong we're in a world where metrics are hugely important uh, people are signing off expenditure based on roi but um i know and I just celebrated my five-year anniversary at OC Tanner, and we make a big deal of uh, long service, and, and I had um, some very kind words and some very nice things kind of shared with me, and I can't put a number on how that made me feel. Um, I think sometimes when we're in the people business, we have to remember that some of the most interesting stuff isn't that measurable. We, uh, let, me give you, let me give you some, uh, some more examples from the world of Fulham. Um, you and I both worked on a, a project where we put together an educational plan for matchday workers. Mm-hmm. Now, Fulham um, didn't pay uh, any more than most other London venues. Um, it, could, it could be a very cold and wet place to work. Uh, it's not a particularly modern stadium. But just that act of investing in people's personal development was something that none of the other clubs were doing. And we formed a connection with people. Actually, in terms of cost, once you worked it out per person, it was, it was uh, nominal. Mm-hmm. We would not have had the same connection, the same engagement, had we just have increased the hourly rate. Um, equally, we went uh, each kiosk, each team, every match day, this is in our, our match day catering uh, function, would choose somebody who they had identified in the match before, had really brought the values to life. They talked about what that individual did. They gave them kudos. There was a round of applause, often a visit from one of the directors, whether it be myself or or chief exec or one of the others. Um, And we'd reward them with something relatively low value, but meant a lot to them. It might be uh, cinema tickets. It it could have been a box of chocolates. I think my point is um, there are smarter ways to connect and engage people than hourly rate pay. And in football, you see that. You see that perhaps more than more than most areas. You have to remember our match day workers could work for any venue. They had lots of choice. Mm-hmm. We only saw them once every two weeks. So building that connection was tough. And we learnt we learned, we trialed, we we experimented with tactics to help them connect more with the club. And the amount of people that came back game after game and season after season um, was extraordinary. We went before we started these initiatives. We were 19 out of 20 for uh, matchday workers in the Premier League uh, fan survey. Uh, and we um, ended up winning the award for the Premier League's warmest welcome. Yeah. Um, we didn't increase pay that year. We uh, really started moving the needle on how we talk values, on how we recognise people, on how we invested in their development. Um, all things which I'm uh, extremely proud of, some, some of which I think uh, were more successful than I imagined. You know, this isn't, uh, not every idea worked, but I think those were the things that really shifted the needle for us. Yeah. And you had some fantastic uh, employees part-time uh, going through this, this process, uh, or casual staff going through this process. Some of them were actually in front of the directors at the club sharing their ideas, pitching their ideas. Uh, and some of, the, some of those uh, individuals have gone on to, to greater things and no doubt they have fond memories of the club and may well come back in time as, uh, as well. 
Uh, keeping your employees engaged as well is, of course, leadership. Leadership is always in the mix. And I really wanted to touch on your time going a little bit further back before Fulham with your time at Harrods. Again, another fascinating place. And yes, I want to go there. I'd like to ask you about the leadership of Mohammed Al-Fayed. He made some decisions that were perhaps at times interesting, controversial, unorthodox. How might he have influenced your own leadership proposition? Um, yeah, it's interesting. I think, uh, you know, one of the traits that, that I really admire uh, Mohammed for is, is his bravery. Uh, now, sometimes his bravery is not to everyone's taste. Um, certainly he's a, a controversial figure, but if you look at his uh, business success, and there's, there's the ones that hit the, the headlines, Harrods and Fulham, but there are plenty of other very successful businesses that he, uh, he was involved in and, and is involved in. Um, there's, there's no doubt that he is a very sharp business mind and his bravery uh, and his lack of concern for popularity shall we say you know what it, it didn't worry him that not everyone agreed with him um the courage and his conviction uh, for sure allowed him to achieve things that others wouldn't uh, when he bought fulham football club um i'm not sure how many other people will have will have bet on that horse uh he took a club that was almost falling out of the football league and believed in his ability to turn it around um he did. He turned it around much quicker than, than uh, anyone anticipated, probably including himself. And I, and I think that's what, I, that's what I've taken from working from him. I think whenever you work for a leader, actually whether good or bad leader, you always learn. Um, and there are you know, certainly elements of his management style that I don't emulate. Um, but I think his bravery and decision-making, his courage and conviction, um, sometimes, sometimes the things that on the outside looked crazy were brilliant i mean mm. the michael jackson statue is one that that springs to mind and, and uh, fulham fans were split uh, as to uh, whether it was um appropriate or inappropriate but if we put that question to one side the amount of revenue that generated was extraordinary we, we had press coverage all over the world um countries that had never heard of fulham football club suddenly heard of fulham football club we had uh, a huge spike in merchandise sales. Uh, we had uh, Michael Jackson tours that were uh, a number of times a day. Um, so whether you loved or loathed some of the decisions that he made, there was no question. He's a very sharp business mind. Um, and yeah, one of the, one of the things I, I took from him is, is be brave. Believe, believe in what you're doing. If you try nothing, you will gain nothing. Absolutely right. And, and that's my, my experience of, of having worked with you. I think, you know, that, that example you gave previously about we could have raised the wages across the board, but actually we found a new way to in, invest in the people. That was a risk at the time. No other club had done something like that. No, and it's interesting. I mean, my, my journey with OC Tanner started at Fulham. We were a client and we did some, uh, some training and development work with our, with our people around appreciation and the, the importance of... Um, catching people doing the right thing versus the traditional catching people doing the wrong thing. And at the time we did it, it, I mean, now I look back and I think, well, it was obvious, but at the time we did it, it was groundbreaking and 
there were a number of people at the club, I'll be honest, who thought I had completely lost the plot, that this was some kind of soft HR, fluffy nonsense. And it took a while for, uh, for us to be able to demonstrate the return, right? For us to see the difference it was making. Um, and I think sometimes you just have to do that. I mean, at that time, it gave us competitive advantage. You know, uh, Chelsea and uh, the O2 and Wembley, all these other people that were employing the same, the same individuals for event day, they couldn't get close to where we were in terms of engagement. Some were giving free programs. Uh, some were giving uh, better lunch boxes. And some were giving, uh, you know, higher hourly rates. But it, it took some courage for us to move in a different direction. And, uh, you know, Mohammed Al-Fayed as a leader allowed us to do that. I have to you know, thank him. He's been uh, hugely, uh, hugely influential in, in, in just giving me the, the freedom to move the people agenda on at, at Fulham. Um, and, you know, not everyone would do that. I, I think it's very easy these days to play safe. Great. Thank you. Well, listen, one more question about Harrods then. Uh, you know, those that will have been, it's a, it's a unique experience for going into the building itself. Uh, let, let alone shopping and, and buying all the items that are there. It has this world-class brand and, and reputation. How do you feel that was actually achieved at Harrods during your time there? And, and, and how do you think they've sustained it over time? That's a really interesting question. I, I, first thing I want to say is that I think Harrods now is a very different place to Harrods then. Um, I know that their people management practices are uh, now a lot more forward thinking, um, perhaps a lot more modern. When I was there, and we're going back some time, of course, when I was there, it was a fairly traditional hierarchical structure. Um, essentially, I would say a leadership style that was more based on fear than encouragement. Uh, I know that that has shifted from people that I know that are still there that really uh, enjoy the new way of working. Um, but I, th I think it's all about just being determined, understanding what's important. So maybe it comes back to values, although Harris never articulated it in quite that way. You know, our values were really clear. It was about um, the customer being king. It was about exceptional levels of service. We were never competing on price. We were always competing on experience. It was about theatre. And I think we're just very clear with people about what that was. I think now, sort of from everything I've learned since, I think there are ways to encourage those behaviours that are um, perhaps longer term in their thinking. But even with a even with a cult, you know, even with quite a strong hierarchical culture uh, and culture of fear, no one that worked there was unclear on what was expected. A very determined uh, approach to continuous improvement. Uh, again, perhaps different to the continuous improvement methodology that I would now uh, employ, but always striving for more. Uh, I mean, Mohammed Al-Fayed in his years invested just huge amounts in that store. And so all around you, you had a beautiful place to work. You had the finest merchandise in the world. You had a fantastic, fantastic marketing uh, engine, but you were very clear on what you were expected to do. You were on stage um, every day that that, that store opened you and you were in front of the public you were a part of that experience in that theater and Mohammed made that very clear to everybody um, and it wasn't look it, it wasn't a culture for everybody it was it was uh, uh, certainly a, a tough culture to work in it taught me lots about 
uh, work ethic and resilience. <laughs> um, but, but ultimately, I, th I think you've just got to be very clear on what your differentiator is and you've got to be dogged, I suppose, is, is the best word about going after it. Um, and the one thing that, that we were is extremely clear with everyone that came in, whether they were a customer, whether they're a member of staff, whether they're a vendor, you know, this is what we're about. If you want to work with us, if you want to shop from us, if you, if you want to um, work for us, this is, this is, this is where we're at. Love that sense of theatre as well being instilled in in retail. I mean that that's not what you're going to get in certain uh, retail outlets nowadays. When when you when you have those touch points with let's say a sport a well-known sporting goods uh, pro provider, you know you, you, you're not going to get that sense of theatre in certain places. No, and I think to be honest, I think there's a place in the market for for both. When um, when I go with my family to uh i think the sporting place that you mentioned <laughs> i go because i'm after um value uh, yeah. i'm probably not going to stay in there very long yes. <laughs> not an experience it's a necessity but yeah. when it's christmas time and i'm in knightsbridge and i go into harrods i'm not necessarily going to buy anything um i may do um, and that's the, that's the, the wonder of, of, uh, of Harrods. You go in expecting perhaps uh, to come out with nothing and you come out with something. Um, but I'm going for the experience. I'm going because it's retail theatre. Um, and that was really, you know, coming back to, to Muhammad Al-Fayed, that's really his influence. You know, he wanted to create something which was a special place to be, a place that you, you, you went to, that you brought your family to, that was an experience. And the same could be said at Fulham. That was always his, his passion at Fulham. And that's why, you know, the values and the experience was important. Um, yes, it's important to make money. Um, yes, it's important to hit our ticketing revenue. But let's bring kids in for the first time. Let's encourage people that perhaps don't have access to the, to the uh, biggest grounds because of cost. Let's encourage them to find us a place at Fulham. Let's welcome the community. Um, it, you know, he was very supportive and very encouraging of that approach. Okay, Robert, th thank you very much for your thoughts so far on that. Uh, as always on this podcast, we prepare a quiz for you to test your knowledge. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got a few questions coming up around uh, Fulham and Harrods. So the first one is Harry Gordon Selfridge whose store rivaled Harrods in the early, early 20th century, once made a bet with Harrods uh, over which store would make a greater profit in 1917. Is this true or is this false? I don't know. And because I don't know, I'm going to guess that it's false. Ah, oh, Robert, you're one down. Is it true? It is true. And Harrods won. Sorry. And Selfridge uh, had a silver replica of the store commissioned, which is on display on the lower ground floor today so for you to bask in its glory. Okay, we've got to pull it back, Robert. Number two, Harrods began as a small store in Stepney, East London, in a single room. Besides himself, Harrods himself employed two assistants and a messenger boy. At first, Harrods only sold... Novelty toys such as stress balls, Rubik's cubes, and slinkies. Is this true or false? It's false. Both <laughs> of my laughter as I wrote that question out. Yes, it is false. It was actually tea and groceries to start off with. Okay, question three. 
Animals have long had an association with the store Harrods. Playwright Noel Coward once bought a pet alligator there for Christmas. True or false? Hmm. Say true. It is true. We're two up. Uh, apparently, another time a cobra was used to guard a pair of sandals worth sixty-two thousand pounds. Yes, I was. I was uh, employed at that time. I think that wasn't so long ago. <laughs> apparently, the sandals had diamonds and sapphires embedded to them. Who wouldn't uh, want diamonds and sapphires in their sandals? Yeah. <laughs> And uh, we've also got a baby elephant was bought at Harrods and given to Ronald Reagan. Mm. Uh, also, yeah. ah, to be a fly on the wall on that one. Uh, let's keep going. Now, uh, on, to, on to Fulham. The former Lilybridge Sports Ground of Fulham, situated near to where Stamford Bridge Stadium is today, played host to the first ever amateur boxing match in 1867. True or false? I'm not sure you could make that up. I'm going to say true. You're right. I couldn't make it up. It is true. Cups for this were supplied by the Mar Marquess of Queensbury, which is uh, why the rules in boxing are called the Queensbury rules. Oh, interesting. Okay, you'll be pleased to know this is the last one. The area of Fulham has appeared in numerous films, including Weekend at Bernie's, Cannonball Run 2, and Ghostbusters 2. False. I'm going to say false. You were right to say false. Apparently, uh, films such as The Omen, Sliding Doors, uh, have been featured in Fulham and many others. That concludes the quiz, Robert. Congratulations. I, I make, is that four out of five? It's not bad. Not, bad. not bad. You're definitely <laughs> up there. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll have to keep a league, I think, over time. There'll be some sort of award at Christmas. So on, to, on to the listeners' questions, which are much more important than the quiz. Uh, we've got a question here from Dave Levine, and he asks, what could we take from employee engagement in business and apply to footballers where the wages are so high? Um. I think this takes us back to, to the question right at the beginning of the, the podcast. I think it's about looking for the other motivators. So, you know, when we talked about players, we talked about time. Uh, we talked about convenience. You know, we, we would help. Let me give you an example. We had a, a, a and, and Harrod still has, uh, sorry, Fulham still has a fantastic uh, player liaison team headed by a great guy called Mark. And when players would, come over and join the club. Mark would help with everything. Uh, he could source you a, you know, a, a place to live. He could source schools for the kids. He'd find a gym for the player's wife to go to, all sorts of kind of cool stuff. Mm. And when you've got all the money that you need, actually what you're short on is time. And what you're looking for is to help uh, things to be more convenient. Mm. Um, you are still motivated by the same things the rest of us are, by appreciation, um, by feeling important, by the manager spending time with you, by being empowered. Um, you know, actually, I think, I think some of the best managers are the ones that listen a lot to their players, that uh, liaise closely with, with the captain to build strategy and, and training sessions and those sorts of things. So yeah. I think, um, you know, the lesson I would take away is footballers have plenty of wages. So once you take wages out of it, you really get to, to work on human connection. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that. So the second question he asks, how much 
did you have as an HR person influencing the culture across the club to to sustain and drive high performance? I had a lot of influence. I think um, I'm very grateful to both Mohammed Al Fayed and also Chief Executive Alistair McIntosh, who um, were really strong supporters of of the value of, of human resources. We moved away. You know, we weren't administrative but we were tasked with adding value i think the, the the interesting thing about football club dynamics is that if you win on a saturday um everyone is upbeat everyone is engaged if you lose on a saturday people can be easily down it's a very emotional sport uh, sorry a very emotional business i should say because of the sport i actually uh, some time ago in a uh, an ebook called um humane resource this time it's personnel i think was the cheesy title and i I wrote a chapter in there it was around the kind of the risk of highly engaged employees um in a business when it you know through its ups and downs and i think hr football club you kind of have to be pretty agile and keep moving you have to make sure that in the good times people are making decisions um that are not based on emotion, that are based on long-term, and in the bad times, that they are focusing on the times that are ahead rather than the way they're feeling right now. Um, so, it, yes, I had a lot of influence, uh, but there was lots of work to do. I think given the, given the headcount, it was perhaps one of the busiest roles uh, you could imagine because the, the, the mood, the culture, uh, how much people were sticking to values was you know, continually knocked or uplifted by the sporting result. When you engage people and they really, I mean, I, was just, I, I wasn't a football fan at all. Start working for Fulham and I literally fall in love with the club. I'm still a season ticket holder to this day and I've, and I've left there over five years ago. Um, but once you connect people like that, either as an HR leader or any leader, you have a huge responsibility to ensure that that emotional connection doesn't uh, negatively impact the way people are operating, the way they're recruiting or developing their teams. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I, I was very lucky. I had a fair amount of influence. It's so transparent as well that the, the results on the pitch are there for everyone to see. You know, some companies employees aren't necessarily connected to the share price or the uh, revenue and the margins or uh, you know that those sorts of figures. And, and of course, everyone has an opinion, um, and not everyone has all of the facts. And so, you know, on a, on a Monday morning. I would be reading Twitter or reading the newspapers and people would be criticizing decision-making that I'd been a part of. And that's hard. Um, that's hard. And it, you, you have to work, you know, work tirelessly, I think, to continuously be objective, to not get wrapped up in the hype, to um, you know, not, not be reading the fans' reaction on Twitter and, and making knee-jerk reactions, which are not, long-term interest of the business that are not values driven so we always used to you know for decision making uh even at the most senior level i would often sit with the chief exec we'd have a big decision to make and we would go through each of the values is the decision we're about to make compatible with it with our values it it would be our go-to point you know put the emotion to one side let's look at this let's look at this in relation to the values the things that we all believe are most important to the future of the business Okay, on to the next question, which does link into, again, some of your previous answers. It's from Caroline Britton, and she asks, what do you think is the best way to monitor employee engagement over time? I suppose the answer is listen. Uh, if you are 
big enough that you that you need tools to help you do that and engagement surveys then then i understand that but the more frequently you can listen the better i always think you learn a lot more in the lunchroom than you learn in the boardroom um the chance to be out there i mean you'll know when you and i work together particularly at the football club um i walked around that stadium i don't know how many times on a match day uh because I learned nothing by being in the boardroom. I learned plenty by just watching, observing, by sensing the mood, by being there when people check in in the morning, by um, just, just, I don't know, emotionally listening out for them. I appreciate that's really difficult to do in a large business, but if we can get our leaders to do it, then we, then we have a chance. I'm not sure anyone's found the magic answer yet which is why there's so many employee engagement surveys uh, out there and culture surveys. And, you know, we, we work with people all the time to kind of watch and listen and learn. We do some stuff like back to the floor, which you did with us at Fulham. Um, so we've, you know, we, we've had employees here at, uh, at OC Tanner who are helping companies build their um, sort of plans for, for culture change and for appreciation and recognition strategies. And we'll have them flipping burgers in a, in a train station. We've had them actually working on the trains and <laughs> clients virgin trains and I, I just don't think you can beat being in there listening observing yeah um, just it makes me it. think actually robert it makes me think of the research by harvard business review around actually directors losing that authority that they they have because of their removal from the front line yeah, I think that's right. And, and look, you, you and I have, have also done a fair amount of work on uh, lean methodology and, and continuous improvement. And a big part of that is being on the front line. Um, we used to talk, uh, it was a phrase we used a lot at Fulham, which is uh, the most important people in our business are those on the edge of the organization. And the edge is the edge that's closest to uh, your clients, your customers, your fans. Um, and I think sometimes we, a business can lose sight of that. You know, we can spend a lot of time in the boardroom or behind our computers, but the closer you can get to the edge of the organization, the more you can engage the edge of the organization, the faster you will, will see results. You know, improving, uh, for example, Fulham's season ticket base, uh, you're going to have far more impact if you're out there talking to fans match by match than you are if you're in a strategy meeting back at the training ground. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Thanks, Robert. Okay, last question, and it's it's a good one to end on. It's from John Borthwick, and he asks, looking back over your career in the different sectors, if you had your time again, what would you do differently? Good question. I've, I, look, I've been very lucky. I'm not sure that I've made career decisions that I would uh, make differently next time. Um, I think I would be more confident, more self-confident about my ability to switch sectors and switch careers. I think if you'd have said to 18 or 19 year old me that I would be moving into HR, I'd have probably been surprised. Then when I was in HR, if you'd have said to me that I'd work in football, a sport I had no interest in, I'd have been surprised. Um, if when I was in football, you'd say, look, uh, ultimately you're going to go and, uh, and be a managing director uh, of, a, uh, of a, a technology, an HR technology business, I'd have been surprised. And I think, I think probably what I'd done differently is just be more confident. Just, just realize that, uh, skills are transferable and if you bite off more than you can chew you can often rise to the challenge great stuff and you have uh, so i think you know one of the things that i'd certainly like to ask is you know you're working at oc tanner now been there for quite a few years could you tell us a, a, a little bit about what the company does some more specifics on that 
And also, where can you find out you know, more about OC Tanner and your own thoughts and perspectives on HR and re reward and recognition? That's a big question. <laughs> let's, let's start with what OC Tanner does. Um, OC Tanner essentially is a, is a, a, a technology business, but we are so much more than that. We help, we help people thrive at work. So we work with uh, some of the biggest and best companies in the world um, on their people strategy. And we um, help them with know-how, with consultancy. We help them with uh, tools uh, in terms of uh, tech. We run uh, um, people's recognition programs, their long service award programs. We have a fantastic manufacturing capability. We produce some very, very cool uh, looking awards. You can see lots of this stuff on our website, octanner.co.uk. Uh, and octana.com. There's also uh, some things that your listeners will find interesting. We are huge on research. We don't do this stuff because uh, it's a fad in the workplace. We do this stuff because we know it works. We know it produces ROI. Uh, we've we've got um, evidence that's direct link to um, productivity and profitability. And I would encourage your listeners to go and have a look at our uh, latest research on the website. Um, and actually. Uh, next month, we have our, our huge conference over in uh, Utah, and our latest research, uh, the 2019 research, will be released. So go and take a look at the research that's on our website now, but I would also take a, 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 a trip back onto the website in uh, just over a month's time um, to get the very latest kind of thinking on that. Uh, and that comes from the uh, OC Tanner Institute, and that's research from all over the world. And you have your own blog as well, Robert, which you're shy to mention, but... Where can, where can we find that as well? Uh, from time to time. Um, so there are some blogs on octanner.co.uk, but you'll also find me on HR Zone um, and various others from time to time. Um, I, I, I tend to flit around. It's, it's, uh, whoever asked me to write some stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm normally pretty accommodating. Yeah, great stuff. Robert, thanks very much for your time generally some fascinating insights into the the sectors that you've worked in uh thank you for keeping hr alive and kicking if you excuse the pun robert oldiva thank you for joining us on the podcast thanks michael take care my friend <laughs>